Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Excited to be joined tonight by CJ Toledano. He is the host of the podcast, The Greatest, uh, with um, Megan Gailey, who is very funny. Uh, very funny, yeah. And yeah. also married to CJ. That's right. As it turns out. And, and a former guest of this show, uh, which we take to be at least somewhat decent news that CJ would come <laughs> now because otherwise it was that awful to be here. We you actually, by the way, CJ, and I hope we don't get Megan in trouble for saying this. We no. actually knew of your birthday present, the big birthday present she got you this year that was awesome. It was incredible. Shit, should we, I have listened to the show or watch the show in its no, time we didn't know ahead of time? No, we we actually knew. She didn't talk about it on air. She talked yeah. about it uh, off air, and she made us swear not to say anything. But oh we actually knew about this, and we were like, damn, he is going to be really thrilled I be honest when he opens that I, box. I, 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 uh, I forgot. What it was? What was it? It's a game worn autograph uh, Barkley shoe, and like I love. I mean, it's one of my favorite sneakers of all time. I've never had a game worn anything like. As a kid, you're like, you what? What level of like income do you get where you can just like splurge on something like that? So it was like the perfect birthday present because I would have never bought it for myself, and now it's like a shrine next to me when I work from home all day. So it, it really is like one of my favorite things in all of life now so plus it, these guys yeah. have they have enormous feet so you can like put a lot of things in it if you want yeah it really it just looks like a prop like I, it's hard to believe <laughs> like, like it's hard to believe that a man wore this who could run and jump higher than me and faster than me um but yeah it, it's it, that's why it feels like a movie prop when i just look at it yeah i once put my foot into a professional, like like a seven footer. So it looks like when my daughter wears my running shoes. She's two yeah. and like runs around. It's like you feel like a like a like a like a two year old running around I, in your parents' shoes. I, I remember years. This is a long time ago, but uh, I was doing some work for ESPN the magazine on the red carpet for the ESPY Awards, mm -hmm. and I shook hands with Willie McGinnis, um, yeah, who at the time was wearing one of his Super Bowl rings, and Willie McGinnis had. I mean, he was. An enormous human being to begin with. I remember I went to USC when he was there, and I remember thinking that is the largest man I've ever seen in my life, other than Andre the Giant, yeah. like in person. Like, and he was—he really was built like an upside down triangle. But he shook my hand, and his hand was enormous anyway. While wearing one of those rings, which are huge, it actually hurt. Like, it really hurt <laughs> his hand pressing that metal into my hand. Oh my God, it was painful. And that's the power that they feel, you know, like they wear that one, they, you know, they get used to, it's like a wedding ring, but you know, they get used to that weight. So they feel weird without it. And then they, I bet you, they, they love seeing that reaction when they're crushing your hands, not only with their hand, but also with this giant metal object that very few people get. So, I mean, I would do the same thing. Yeah, it's, it, every, every every moment becomes the the handshake in uh, in Ocean's Eleven with Bernie Mac and the car and the the guy who's you know renting him the vans or whatever, yeah. selling him the vans. Um, it oh well, we didn't get to the rest of your credits. Like this is important. Like we have all kinds of stuff. We we oh, mentioned yeah. the greatest and uh, you know the podcast, um, but also uh, the 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 founder of Follow Through, which is a a creative sports studio. And we want to get into a lot of stuff about yeah. like just the content. And things like that, because it is a, it's like a fascinating time for sports content. Uh, so we, we want to talk about that. You are the pride of Marshalltown, Iowa. Um, wow. 
You guys did your research. That's why yes, we did. We take this shit seriously. Um, and uh, it, it led to a deep dive into the Wikipedia page of Marshalltown. Um, and we have questions. So Please, um, yeah. that's going to be a thing. Uh, and I also have wild questions. little place. <laughs> There's more going on in Marshalltown than you I, think. I moved away from there when I was five. So my real hometown that I really claim is Erie, Pennsylvania. There's a lot of sports stuff there. So like, but yeah, well, let's, let's talk well, about we're it. We're only prepared for Marshalltown. Okay. Erie doesn't <laughs> Sorry. According to our research, you're from Marshalltown. Yeah. <laughs> That's where you grew up. Were you guys reading like bank statements? Like where did you get this info? Maybe. Is it really important? <laughs> I mean, whether we were. Look, I mean, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it was. You know, everybody can get the last four digits of somebody's social. Yeah. It takes a little work to get the first three, and I think it was worth it. But and we'll um, give that away to a lucky winner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, uh, I have questions about an interview that you and Megan did uh, regarding your wedding. Yeah. Um, so this is gonna be a, it's gonna be a really packed hour. <laughs> um, I just you should know. I love it. Let's do it. Um, Andy, where, where, where should we start though? Should we, should we start with follow through? Yeah, let's, let's start out with that because, uh, that's a, a content studio that is launching pretty soon. Correct. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're essentially launched now. Um, we will do like a hard launch, uh, and it's coming up soon because we, you know, we didn't want to just launch and be like, and so we're open, you know, we've been having talks for the last four to six months, even before like any sort of revenue was coming in and just getting the word out there on why follow through why a creative sports studio should exist right now. Um, and so we have a fun, like a little preview for anyone watching, like we'll have a Super Bowl video coming out through Bleacher Report this weekend that um, I think will be really fun and, and really speak for what this thing is. And I mean, in short, what this thing is a creative sports studio and it's um, it's committed to developing, producing and packaging, you know, sports entertainment, um, not necessarily like stats and, and wins and losses any of that reporting, to bring fans closer to the athletes and teams they love. And so it's a culmination of my experience over the last six years where I was at Bleach Report, House of Highlights, the NFL, kind of creating that storytelling that is, you know, uh, resonates with social audiences and younger people that are consuming sports in a, in a different way these days. So that's, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. It was because like, yeah. it, it, I remember when I was a kid and I get up, I'm going to age myself here. I get up and I, and, and I, I, re, I read box scores and I'm looking like, you know, I'm getting, you know, the, the box score from the East, East Coast game or the West Coast game that happened like three days ago because yeah. that's just world work back then. I'm watching as much, you know, uh, you know, local highlights as I can. I'm watching this week in baseball uh, to get my twib notes and stuff like that. I watch as you know, my kids don't watch live games. You know they they love soccer. They have no interest in watching a soccer game on TV. They you yeah. know they like talking about the Dodgers. They have no interest in what what they do like watching is stuff on YouTube. They like so. What is what does that mean? So like the 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 way people consume sports now, especially like you say, younger people. How has that sort of changed the arc of of sports and how we talk about it and how we present it and all that stuff? Um, well, one, it presents a lot of bad takes. Um, and, and, and the thing is, I, I was, I was just like you and I still am. I have to work a little bit harder to be that person. Bad, who bad takes from who? Bad takes um, from who? From strangers. And, you know, they get the same presentation as report. Like it's the same platform and, you know, tweeting 
and, and saying these takes, you know, Paul George is bad. Paul George is good. Like all like whatever. And it, it shows up right next to a Taylor Rooks tweet, who is a professional in this business next to a Woj tweet. And you're just like, this should be illegal. This would never happen back in the day. Um, and the thing is, you can say those things and however many followers you have and whoever retweets it, they see it. But that person, you don't know, watch the game, knows anything about sports. And it really could be it be seen because of they're popular for some other reason. And, um, you know, and I resisted that for a long time. And also, I kind of stumbled into the sports industry, um, you know, because of NBA, the, you know, the, the birth of NBA Twitter and, you know, sort of the, the trend of memes. But uh, I kind of try, you know, really hard to separate myself, it, the, the consumption of analysts and the consumption of like fan temperature and fan feelings. And, you know, it, it, that's the thing is like highlights are, you know, our generation and, and the world today with all these social platforms, everything has a 60 second limit, 15 set, whatever. And so these outlets have adjusted and they're just giving the best ofs and it's not the whole story, you know? And like, I like how a lot of outlets are committed in some ways to making sure that it's the real story, but a lot of it, a lot of these people don't really care um, about making sure that they're reporting the very hard news. Um, and that, that's sort of the way, you know, and I, I try to have projects that serve both. Um, I've definitely leaned more on the, on the kind of like lifestyle fashion, um, you know, comedy and, 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 you know, off the field, off the court type stuff. But it's totally, you're, you're right in saying that a lot of the youth don't sit and watch full games. You know, it's like they watch shows and movies on demand mm -hmm. and, these games aren't on demand. And I like myself, like when I can sit down and watch a Lakers game in full, that's a treat to me. Like, and I will plan that, you know, I will plan my meal and like where I'm watching it. And, and so, and I can't believe it's gotten that hard. What's a Laker meal. A Laker meal is usually lined up with a cheat meal um, as of the last two months. But uh, yeah, e either let's see a home run, a home run in pizza um is my frozen pizza of choice it's a midwest choice uh or what do we get all the time or casa bianca we're we're in eagle rock highland park mm -hmm. and if you guys ever oh, been there yeah, that's high-end pizza it's good so it's a pizza of some sort we the class of it i don't know yeah i can't it, it varies but but yeah it's a feast usually cheating for what like you know are you in training what are you what are you doing i'm not in training but uh, yeah I've, I've definitely put on the pandemic 50 um and so just <laughs> like Five. oh no, I, I, used weigh, I used to weigh 106 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, like I told somebody when I when the vaccine news started coming out and, and the sort of the light on, uh, at the end of the tunnel started happening, I was like, as soon as I know that amount of months and however many I need to lose, like 25 to 30, that's when I'll start. And it lined up exactly with New Year's. So oh, I've been doing a good job of uh, yeah working out and, and just getting my steps in and eating a little bit better. So. So how, how aware, like if you are a person, you know, Andy and I work in this world, so we're at least yeah. not really, you know, we're trying to be, but if you're just like a, a you know, a, a 50 year old dude um, who's out there, grew up watching sports the way I did, or even like, even like my parents, how, how aware do you think they are of this entire other culture of how sports is consumed and how large it is and how impactful it is? I don't think as much as we would would like you know i think yeah i mean like i talked to my mom one my mom doesn't know what i do and and i know she's not a 50 year old man but like neither does ours are, you know 
Our, we've been in this industry for, you know, decade, decade and a half. Long, 20 years. Our mom still has no clue yeah. what it is that we do at all. Like yeah. she does not understand it even in the slightest. It's kind of wild. And, and it's not just my mom and, and, you know, the certain or parents or whatever. Like I've had Uber drivers in the heart of New York City and they're like, where are you? Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to work. Where do you work? Bleacher Report. They're like, what's Bleacher Report? And then I have to say it's ESPN, but for social, you know, and that's the, that that sort of log line has like evolved over the years. But it, it's pretty wild when, in fact, like we live on social and we see those numbers and they can sometimes reach up to like 80,000 retweets. And you're like, every person has seen this, you know, I, 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 not remember, true. I, I remember when um, Brian and I were, I believe at the time covering the Dodgers for the LA times, we, we were doing their Dodger blog, like back in the day when sports blogs for mainstream outlets were first starting. And I got this voicemail from my mom. You know, and this is right when uh, Manny Ramirez got popped for PEDs. Yeah, uh, when he was trying to get pregnant, the fertility drugs, and uh, he had his. Well, big we all want to have a family. I it's mean, just, it's, it's who among else. us? Um, and I just got this voicemail from my mom that said, "And did you hear about that Manny Ramirez? He's so stupid." <laughs> and that was just the end of it. But I'm like, yes, mom. I, I'm quite aware of what's going on with Manny did Ramirez. You, did you know the Lakers signed LeBron? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I did. <laughs> no, I did. Did, did you know Kobe did a documentary with Spike Lee? Yeah. Yes. Do you think you could do a story about that? That could be kind of big, right? And like, that's you know that's like and the thing is though because we're getting like it is the most breaking, most real time. Like when like KD is signing, you know, with the Warriors, we're hearing that because the the agents and reps around them have their strategy to get that news out. So it's like. All right, we're about to go. We're gonna do the Players Tribune uh, announcement, but also agents gonna leak it to whoever trusted reporter because, which I do like. Like a lot of these guys, like I feel like I can't remember who uh, who broke the was it Chris Haynes who broke the the PG and Kawhi. Like you could have been, could have been, I, yeah. And so like, and then it, it came from every other network, and like a lot of these guys, and he was already credible before, but like they're really built on some of these connections. And I think a lot of these players have their trusted guys who they'll leak that info to. And it comes out like we, we hear about it before it's official, before anything is signed. And that's like the beauty of this thing. It's, it makes it really exciting. It makes it kind of like a video game for people like us in this business. One thing that I think is really interesting, like you were talking before about younger audiences um, trained to have like a 60 second attention span. Like I've noticed with my daughter who's nine, who is a big consumer of like TikTok and different yeah. videos. And she, you know, she edits videos for an audience that she actually has now, like, which yeah. is kind of bizarre to me, but like, she's a funny kid and she has a good sense of humor, but her sense of humor is very compact. Like, you know, like she'll, kids don't have a, a an idea of context to begin with, but yeah. kids now really have no idea. Like she'll just show me this 45 second video with no explanation whatsoever that she doesn't understand why I wouldn't automatically find it hilarious just because I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. But kids now, like they, I don't think they have like a sense. And I think this extends to audiences when it comes to constructing humor of like an actual build to something, you yeah. know, like, uh, like uh, gradually getting to a punchline, the punchline has to hit right then. 
And I don't even think it's bad or good. I just think it's interesting because that, like, there's going to be generations that their version of humor and their idea of humor is shaped by what we're seeing right now with online culture. You grew up, you came up in comedy. So like, this is, yeah. you know, an evolution you've seen firsthand. And yeah, it's, you know, and I'm kind of just like, is it just evolution in general? Like, can you make the same case for a lot of things, you know, with maybe even cooking or any sort of arts, but the one thing, and I, I love that you said it, and it's something that I had to sort of teach myself is like, it's not good or bad, you know, it's like, it's, it's what we're at. And for a lot of comedian friends who, you know, a lot, my network is still like stand-up comedians, comedy writers who write for television. And, you know, they, they, I just want them to accept it, but also accept that, like, these are brilliant kids who are learning storytelling in those 60 seconds, who are taking trends and, and, and using those trends to then tell, you know, use their comedy or tell their story in those sort of formats that are now sort of birthing through, you know, these social media things, but also too, like they might grow out of it. You know, like we grew out of, I grew out of like jackass destructive humor. Like we used to be in shopping carts and like running each other into walls. And then I was like, what's a monologue joke? You know, I love late night talk shows and this could be a job. So I figured out monologue jokes I figured out sketch writing I figured out stand up. And I feel like, and I am, I mean, I'm like incorrect or I feel kind of like pretentious saying this, but my sort of taste in comedy sort of changed and it didn't get rid of that, whatever comedy I left. And it just became a different thing. It came like, you know, how I wanted to digest these things and there was more to study and all that. So yeah, I don't even know what the question was anymore, but it's a, it's an ongoing battle and like evaluation of it all. And it's super interesting and it's not good or bad. It's yeah, like, I think we're just happy we're seeing, we have it. I, really, I, I feel like we're seeing a cultural shift in a lot of ways with, mm -hmm. with comedy that, you know, I'm sure if you looked, you know, at the history of comedy and vaudeville, you know, going back 100 plus years, you would see different shifts there as well. I just I find this one interesting just in the presentation. Yeah. Like the presentation is so fast moving yeah. and, and the way you have to really find what hits pretty quickly in, in, in order for, I, I think, to really be popular now. Yeah. No, and it's like, it's something, another great example of it was, you know, when YouTube was sort of new and SNL, I mean, which is probably the biggest and longest running comedy institution, you know, that was live sketch. But then all of a sudden, really when it popped again in the 2000s was Lonely Island. And those were guys mm -hmm. that were just making comedy on YouTube. And that was like kind of what brought it back into the mainstream. Like SNL was always there, but it like really popularized it. Now you watch it. There's four digital shorts. There's five digital shorts. There's pre-tapes. Um, and it's just like, and I'm happy that it's like that because, you know, you can't, you can't be too resistant. You got to give in a little bit. But you got to be like, that's the challenge. You know, how do I, again, okay. the comedy bone is, is the same, not the same for everyone, but we all have it. I mean, you've, you worked with, uh, you worked for Jimmy Fallon, right? Mm -hmm. Writing yeah. for his show. I mean, his show, and I think uh, James Corden and a lot of other ones now, you can see they're, they're constructed for online consumption. Like they're, you can exactly. see that things are constructed to be consumed in different six to seven minute sections as opposed to like the David Letterman that I grew up on that yeah. really was like a show's build. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and Conan was my guy and, you know, and Letterman was his guy. And so it's just so different now. And I, you know, I feel like 
Yeah, with everything and from being over there, and it was still kind of early. This is 2011 when I was at Fallon, but like those pitch meetings always happen. It's like this will pop online. You know, this will Corden carpool karaoke. Like the numbers they were looking at were the YouTube numbers. You know, or and all this stuff. It's all like it's wild, and it's this is the sad part that I don't like. I don't love the numbers and rating systems available to everyone who watches it that i feel like can go because it's just it's too influential to a lot of audiences and i guess you mean, you mean in terms of like just being it's it's so clear and obvious like how many people liked a tweet how many people have yeah. uh watched a youtube video or whatever it might be it makes people sick but i've definitely fall to it on a daily basis um but yeah and for 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 that to be existent for art like twitter yeah like we're, we're getting off jokes. We're getting off opinions. Some like some things should be seen by everyone, but man, like a comedy sketch or a movie or like the rating systems, it's, it's, it's really wild. And like, it's not always right. Rotten Tomatoes is rigged. Like there are so many movies, you know, it's like paid reviews, paid views, paid all this stuff. It's not as pure. And so I think the, the thing that we can do as audiences is, is like, kind of like give one give it a chance or like look past those numbers a little bit and and see like you know do we enjoy this and, and why is it good why is it bad when who does this who does this empower like i know you know your your <clears throat> studio is a is sports based you know work with athletes work with teams i mean i suspect you know it's a pandemic work with a lot of work with people who hire you yeah. um, but who does who does this empower um, in terms of making good content, distributing good content, what kinds of people, what kinds of, of, of <clears throat> thought processes, you know, if you kind of get what I'm getting at. Well, you know, what's awesome is that, and this, the greatest example that I, I love just talking about and, and watching evolve is it puts the power into players' hands, into teams' hands. Like teams have their own channels. Players have their own channels. They are networks themselves. They are their own MTV, ESPN, whatever they can like, you know, they have personalities off the court, so they can one, use the resources and like the technology that's so accessible now, or they can find the right people, hopefully myself to go, Hey, I have a passion for cooking. Like what's my weekly cooking show. I have a passion for sneakers or I have a passion for fishing, Jimmy Butler, working out, whatever. Like what, if I was truly, cause every athlete is always looking for what they're going to do at, like I used to be like, what am I going to do after my career? But now they can go, what, what can I do in my off days? And like JaVale McGee's uh, blog or vlog uh, during the bubble, the team Sky bowl, like yeah. I was watching those over television and you know, that's like themselves and maybe one other person or, or you know, a team or whatever. And I want more of that, you know, and that's how players can fight against publishers or just other people almost just like, talking shit about them or, or like trying to, you know, control their narr narrative when it's theirs. Yeah. It's funny you say that because like athletes now are so much more savvy about creating this stuff in the first place and they have more yeah. confidence. They have more resources. Like I have maintained for a while that LeBron's upcoming space jam. I'm not saying that I think for sure it'll be good, but I am really confident it will be better than the original. Like yeah. I think it's going to be so much better than MJ's because LeBron is more experienced when it comes to choosing this stuff. He's more experienced when it comes to being hands-on in its creation. He has more experience in being in an actual movie. Like he stole every scene he's in in Trainwreck. Like he's yeah. legit funny in that. And I, he's going to go into this 
with so much more of a leg up than like it's it's wild to think about it now because it seems so primitive. But Space Jam at the time was a pretty out there concept. Yeah, like, like the idea of having even an athlete as big as Michael Jordan starring in this you know half animated, half real thing that you'd only seen basically like Cool World or Who Framed Roger Rabbit as the star, like Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. The and, lead, the yes, lead, like that, the that most was, lines, you know? That was kind of crazy. And like the idea of, you know, can you even do that with like the tech? Like LeBron. That's is, before, this, by the way, is before you get into the actual plot of the movie, which is itself <laughs> batshit crazy. Oh, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's bad, but I will give you this. I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> like it was, it was different. But like these guys are all empowered and in a better place to do that. And in turn, it makes it so like it follow it follow through. You have to raise your own game just to impress them. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and that's that's why like the word commitment is in you know the log line or like mantra of of my business is like we're here to figure that out. We're here to like tell us your story. You know, and and let's make sure that you are the number one storyteller of that story. You know, it's like if Embiid, you know, the story comes out that he's loving anime, he's watching it on the trainer's table before games, and you know, another outlet wants to go and make now anime involving Joel Embiid, and he, you know, it can be corny, but it's like, Joel, tell us, you know, where your interest lies in, in this genre or whatever, and let's, you know, let's use my network of entertainers or you know artists or whatever, and let's 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 match you up, like let's create let's pitch let's go and pitch animation shows together you know and um and i i created like this show gridiron heights at bleacher report with a few other people and it was out to like sort of troll and make fun of nfl players and one thing with this thing is like i want to tell players like this isn't just available you have just as much money as a lot of these entities like you know how awesome it would be if a player had their own south park but for sports and and they were making fun of themselves in that it, it's the, it makes them self-aware and like they can roast their buddies and it, it's all in good fun, you know? And like, that's the thing about memes. I think KD has done a great job of this. Like Kevin Durant of like he, his burner accounts were found, but he didn't like now he's just doing his burner accounts on his real account. He's roasting people. <laughs> he's being real. And that makes him extremely self-aware and that that's made me love him. And so, it's about bringing that seriousness and commitment to, to you know, opportunities like that. Well, what, what I think is funny is how many people now gauge their interest in athletes for things that have literally nothing to do with the sport that they play. You know, you can get to a place where you are as loved on because of your Instagram feed as you are for your on-court performance. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I think you know, in, in terms of what it means for players when they're done playing, while they're playing, all that stuff. It's a it's a great display of responsibility for their platform. I think of like you know, again, I, I keep bringing up KD, but other players and, and LeBron too of like opening up his school and doing. You know, it's not just entertainment that they're doing. You know, it's like, man, we have all these sports fans at our disposal, especially with this last election, like the initiative to get people to vote. Um, you know, with KD, my, my buddy Omar, who founded House of Highlights, we, you know, it was a fun little thing that I saw today was that like Kevin Durant shared on his Instagram story an interview he did with Omar, who is another kid similar in age who like, you know, kind of an inspiring story where he created his own sort of like sports 
outlet himself in his college dorm and is now doing big things. And like, and that's inspiring for a lot of people. And that's, you know, it's like knowing your platform and going, how can I use it to inspire, to, to entertain, to forward a great message and all that stuff. And so that's where that empowerment is. I like no time better than now has, have I seen displays like that? Uh, it's it's funny actually brian and i were talking about uh before uh, you came on the show we years ago when espn the magazine first launched we used to be contributing writers for the jump section which was basically mm -hmm. the funny section like all these different comedic conceits they call it the front of the book the front of the book as it was yeah. called in the, in the magazine in the industry talk. yeah the the jargon which like at the time was pretty wild for a magazine to be doing like it, like the idea of just a humorous section in what was otherwise a pretty hardcore sports magazine, you know, serving the most hardcore of audiences ESPN. And like, I, it just sort of dawned on me like that was basically there's a through line between that section doing it on paper and what you're doing right now and yeah. what you're what these guys do creating their own humorous con you know serge abaka and Kawhi leonard sitting down to split a bull penis pizza exactly <laughs> like something like that i mean it's th this is the extension of that stuff like 20 or so years ago but you even if you didn't know where that's where it was heading it clearly was no there i feel like there's if you really sat down, you can figure out the one-to-one -to, -one to what's popular and what was popular back then. Like ESPN, the magazine sports illustrated for kids. Like those were what inspired a lot of what's going on right now. Like, I mean, house of highlights itself is the top 10, like how many, you know, casual people who, you know, or casual sports fans back then would just go, I'm going to watch the top 10 and then I'm going to go to work or I'm going to go to school, you know, and then they're out. Now they have at, at their hand at an instant, the top 10 or, top 100 you know and it's evergreen it's topical and you know that was a code that was cracked by guys like omar and you know with like i, I talk about sports illustrated for kids and now they're overtime which is just like blowing up you know so many investors pro athletes and that's like focuses on you know youth and sports and they're not famous they're not in the pros yet but that's inspiring you know that that you know it's like the, the the section in us weekly where it's like stars are just like us it's like yeah. oh there's this kid who has to go to school who has to take care of his brother and sister has to do his homework and then also play in the state championship game and put up 30 while LeBron, lebron is sitting courtside or uh you know quavo is watching because he heard he's the next big thing you know it's like that's wild and and i feel like you know we there's versions of that back back in the day so it's not like new, but it's like, you know, using what the technology is presenting to us today. So um, learning more about you, you um, you grew up, I believe, the the son of immigrants, correct? Uh, Filipino yeah. immigrants. And yeah. you you lived, among other places, in Iowa. But I, I know there was a period when you we're were, getting, we're coming back to that. We're, we're eventually <laughs> going to we're going to get back to the old Marshalltown. Um, where we've decided you uh, you were born. No, I know. I, know. I, I learned also that you grew up in Erie, but Erie. I, I don't think Erie claims you in the same way that Marshalltown does. Well, and also yeah, they have the, they have legitimate celebrities there, and and people. Right. Marshalltown, Marshalltown is funnier <laughs> yes. than Erie, yeah. and and we found we found their wiki page first. So right. ultimately, that's why it's much more important to us that you're from Marshalltown. <laughs> but but um you. You've talked about before how growing up in that experience and like being one of the only non-white people 
in in your high school, you know, growing up, shaped what got you into comedy? And I, I was curious, A, just how that came about, but also like an outsider-ish perspective, what that does for you in terms of sort of gauging what is funny. Like not even necessarily outsider, like Oscar size, but literally just my experience is different than pretty much everybody else around me. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, being born in Marshalltown, Iowa, being born in literal the middle point of America is just like, it's crazy, but you don't realize it when you're a kid. You're kind of like, the reportings you're getting are from your older siblings, not really your parents, because your parents are still trying to figure it out. Like, And my brother and sister were just like, hey, we went to school today, we're the only Asian kids. And they would tell me that. And I, you know, I heard that and I was like, ooh, you guys aren't saying that in a fun tone. Like, that's, <laughs> is this a genuine problem? And, you know, and my parents, they really wanted us to become Americanized. And what that meant to them is like, we eat fast food and we sit in front of the TV. And so that's where the love of, you know, entertainment, sports, comedy and all that was, was born. But, you know, I went to school and I was like, is it a coping me mechanism? But I was like, I'm going to try to be funny. I don't want to be known as that only Asian kid. And what happened was I was that only Asian kid who was funny. You know, it was it like, but that really, it kind of, it pulled focus onto me and I felt pressure. It, it's not like a real necessary pressure, but I felt like the eyes are on me and I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to keep trying to be funny. And I did that through all of my school years in, in high school, I read a few SNL books and I was like, oh, there is like a math to this. or there's like certain steps you need to reach. And, um, I remember just like, you know, my brother and sister were supposed to become doctors my sister went to medical school, dropped out pretty quick without telling my dad. And my brother didn't become a doctor either. And so my parents were just done trying. And I was like, <laughs> I want to do comedy. I want to move to Chicago. I want to do stand up, and I want to do all that. And um, my dad just said, he was like, if you're going to do comedy, you need to treat it like you're going to medical school. Like, you know, it was 70, 80 hour weeks of me, you know, studying and going to classes and all that. Like, you better put that in for comedy. And that's what I did. So it was definitely that immigrant mentality into starting comedy. And it was 100% a gamble, but looking back on it, I'm like, that was a way to do it. And so whenever I tell people like getting into it, regardless of their like their backstory or how they came up, it's just like, like with any job, you got to create your own college for this thing. And I moved to Chicago and it was, you know, working at Blockbuster and Groupon, but also using all that money I was getting to do Second City IO and open mics and watching everything and breaking it down on why things worked. And so, so yeah, I mean, I think it was kind of that like isolation and that focus where I go like, yeah, this is, you know, I kind of had to figure out myself early on and I had the benefit of watching my brother and sister and my, and my parents try to do that as well. Wait. One of the, that's the, the the technical kind of explanations of like the craft of comedy and like why things are funny, yeah, kind of fascinating. Andy and I were talking about this. I think it was yesterday. Just you know, as uh, Dave Schilling, who you probably know, yeah, love Dave. Um, yeah, because uh, Dave actually pointed us to to Megan. We were talking about uh, oh, awesome. know, people that have on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he he had a tweet that. Yeah, I don't know if he was dead serious about this, but like the funniest movie line ever. I don't know if Dave is ever dead serious. <laughs> he's very hard to tell. And that's why he's my buddy. Right. Oh, no, but, he's, like, he's, but like, by dead serious, I mean like he actually means this as an opinion because like you could make an argument, but like the, the tweet was basically uh, that, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo from The Naked Gun. 
yeah. is the funniest line in any movie ever. Like the joke, and he's correct. The joke has like 19 different levels to it um, <laughs> that run throughout the movie. And it's, it's a great line and I love the movie. Um, but like the, that joke, um, the stuff from Airplane, you 30 Rock, you know, long drawn out stuff like the, the old New Heart routine, like the craft to this being like really good at comedy is, is intense. So you talked about like, you know, an SNL book, you talk about like, who are the people like when you invest medical school type time into this, who did you study? Like, who did you look at? What did you go to? I mean, the it's studying. So you say intense and like complicated and all that. And really it just becomes guesswork at that point because to break it down, your your brain will break, right? And it, But the greatest thing is to sit around a bunch of comedians and try to dissect it. But like, you're going to pick away. And one, it's like, you find out who you like. Um, as a younger person coming up, you're like, oh, I like this person. And you look up and see what their backstory is. And then number two is just like, what makes you laugh? Like, those are the greatest gambles. Like, what makes you laugh? I like scientifically, there are other people that that same thing will make you laugh. And you, if you keep doing it, the audiences will hopefully find you. Um, the jobs will find you. And the worst thing you can do, and this is like, I would say the verdict of every person trying too hard when someone's like, you're trying too hard to be funny. is because they're doing something not authentic to them. You know, it's like, I am silly because I like that. That's how I like, again, spoke to people growing up. And like, that was like my coping mechanism. Like it wasn't, I didn't go to Harvard. I wasn't an Ivy league guy. So I'm not doing cerebral humor. I'm, you know, I came up on fresh Prince, Jackass, Farley on SNL, Will Ferrell and all that. And so like, those are the guys who I resonated with. And just inherently I picked up sort of the best of there. But you, you, still, have, but you yeah. still have to figure out why it's funny. You still have to know why this guy who does, Farley is why Chris Farley is funny, and the the, the twelve thousand guys who were trying to do what Farley does aren't. Yeah. So why was he funny, and the other guys weren't? Well, you know, I, I can I can go back to my training at IO and in Second City, and it's you know it's corny, and everyone makes fun of it, but yes, and it's like yeah, no one wants to watch like if you're doing scene work, and someone presents you with a wild, unrealistic scenario or line. Like, who would want to watch a scene where someone says no to that? You know, you want to say yes, and then tr it's trust, it's vulnerability. It's like, all right, let's see what this turns into. Yeah. And yeah. You, you I, I've, I've done some improv training as well. And you just, you can, you have to be willing to give up your own agenda, at least on some level. E even if you want to try to take a sketch or a scene or, I mean, I, I've applied this to radio and and things yeah. that you know that we've done. You know, any anything live, you have to be listening and you have to be willing to give up some of what you had preconceived in order to get it to a better place. And you know, the the yes ending in that's really about control. Yeah. You know, and and being willing to give up a certain degree of that control. And, and trusting that the people around you are just as interested in making you funny as making themselves funny. Because the ultimately, the per, the, like in a lot of ways, the no-and guy is the person who's really thinking, I won't be funny if we go down this route. I don't, I don't like to share. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, it's a complete bummer. It's just a bummer, a guy, like someone or a person who's just like, no. And it's just like, well, what do we do from here? And that per like no one likes a person who thinks that they're right all the time.
you know? And by saying no is like, all right, well then what's the funnier thing we should be doing right now? And no one's interested in watching that, you know, roll itself out. So yeah, it's, it, you know, it's cor- yes. And is like, you know, now kind of made fun of, but it, you know, and, and, and standup was always my more favorite, you know, sort of format, but it was like that in, improv trainer, just like in, in those writers rooms, like in, in stuff that we're doing now, it's like, you're in a group full of funny people. If you say no to people, we're not getting anywhere. Like, someone could say a bad joke and you go, all right, well, let's explore that bad joke. And then you do find, you know, the funniest joke of the day. Okay. So but this is an interesting seg because you and, and Megan um, are very impressive people in the sense that you are the only people I know who have ever been interviewed uh, about your wedding. Yeah. Uh, because great wedding. you guys are very cool and you're hip and, you know, people want to be like you. Um, one of the things that got my attention, though, beyond the cool Reggie Miller proposal thing, which we should talk about, um, is the idea, like, it was either you or Megan basically said, like, everyone at the wedding was a comedian. Yeah. I, what is, comedians <laughs> are interesting people. Yes, they are. They can be dark people. Yeah. They can be needy people. Like, they've been... What is it like to sort of surround yourself in a world because you want to be hanging out with funny people, but you have the sort of the angst of the like, what is that? What does it do for you as a comedian to be surrounded by comedians, as a person to be constantly surrounded by comedians? Well, yeah, it's like it's the gathering of a bunch of outcasts, and everyone has to put their egos away because you know, we all thought, you know, it's like basketball players and like entering the NBA, you, you can't enter the league. Well, I get, this is wrong because mama mentality is like totally a thing, but like you got to put it away for a little bit and you can't be on. Um, and you got to be responsive. It's that listening part, but it, it is like a bunch of degenerates. And that's why, like, if you were at our wedding and we just watched our wedding video on our anniversary a, a month ago, and it was crazy. It was, you know, and that, and that's how we all met was, um, doing open mics where no one was at and then drinking for six hours afterwards and closing out the bars. Um, And these are just people who, man, some of them take themselves too seriously. Some of them want to still be the funniest person in the room. Some of them are mad about their career and too depressed, but comedy is the only thing that they have left and like makes them happy. And if you put all those people together, it's just, it's so it's scattered and it's wild and it's fun, but it's like the only world Megan and I know it's probably, it's a big reason why Megan and I got married and like think we're the people for each other. So it it can be exhausting. I I used to bartend at a place that had an open mic. Um, and I, I was the guy in that room and I, there were some people who came up that I could tell then were going to be like Chelsea Handler was a regular. And I was like, yeah, he's going to be a star. And Sarah Kalana, I could tell was going to end up going far. Um, there, Bobby Lee, some other people like that, that you could tell were good, but there were others that weren't as good. And then there were others that were just exhausting. And like the, the need to always be on, like, ne- like never be one-upped, never have somebody else possibly make a room laugh harder than them, even when they're not on stage, like just holding court. Yeah. Like, and that's, I, that's sort of what I was getting at. Like, I would imagine just, that could be a lot of that energy. It's, um, it's exhausting, but it's, yeah, again, it's just like, and maybe this is just my brainwashed and like (laughs) Stockholm syndrome, but it's like what I miss so much and it can't be replicated over zoom with a bunch of comedians. It's, you know, just like 
and my greatest friends I met in an alley smoking weed for the first time after an open mic, you know, and those are the people who now have families and we're at our wedding um, and have jobs. Some are like big EPs or like, or just got nominated this week for awards. And you're just like, wow, like in our lives were so not bad, like not the worst, but it's like, we were sleeping next to dirty dishes and all this stuff. And, and you kind of just like, you learn to appreciate that come up. And these are just people who understand you and had similar lives, similar struggles that that wedding was really just a celebration that we all are still alive um, and that we all can feed ourselves. And for the most part, all of us are doing something creative in this, you know, for work. And, um, and yeah, and so like, I can't really pinpoint and maybe not give you the exact answer, but it's just a bunch of outcasts who never knew what they were going to do with their life, wanted one thing. And like, we just were on the same path and like, we're the only people who can understand that. Hey, though I imagine those uh, wedding speeches and toasts were pretty damn good. They were really good. Like my buddy, Tommy Mack, he's a musician um, and a comedian. And he sang during our actual ceremony, like wrote this song about us. And, <laughs> and I got, you know, being in production and stuff, I of course hired like a really good uh, videographer and, and editors. And so we watched that wedding video and I, I told Tommy, I was like, after you watch this, you could submit this to TV and to festivals. It's like three camera shot and just jokes were landing. Like the laughs were there. And, and that's another thing, like secret of caught, like a lot of these Netflix specials, like 60% of those laughs are canned laughter, laughter taken from other specials and stuff. But I, I told Tommy, this was 100% real. Well, consider yourself lucky because the nice lady who did our wedding video. Yeah. Uh, did it without the sound. I forgot to actually turn the sound on. So our our wedding video is basically like it's like a silent film, but in color. Yeah. Like, I mean, this was the true. You had one job. You had yeah. literally one job. Turn on the sound and just point the thing at us. Nothing. Listen, if you need a good ADR person, let me know. We'll we'll fill in. We can get some. We can get some celebrity voices to voice your friends. Oh, a little looping. <laughs> I like this. Okay. I have to say that. Neither Andy nor his wife were particularly funny uh, that day. So in, in that sense, I don't know what was lost. Well, one other thing was like, I did I my vows. Saying, so. You know, you're supposed to do your vows to your partner you're about to be married to. I turned and did it to the our, our guests. And like Megan midway through had to be like, you're supposed to do it to me. <laughs> because we I just had that instinct in stand-up, face the crowd and, and open up or whatever. Um, there's there's yeah. nothing more romantic than making your vows a tight five. I yeah, mean, exactly. <laughs> How many people are from out of town? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody came oh, all the way from Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> Who's celebrating a birthday here? How about a wedding? Oh, us? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> oh, my God. And the food tonight. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody heckle you at that point? Like instincts start taking over? There were there were some woos and some I mean yeah it really was a performance so uh, no heckles but but some like you know some shouts here and there but it was so, great. So who can you name uh, as as the uh, the pride of Marshalltown, Iowa? There uh, is someone and I can't name? think of them. Okay, Andy. I need found to know. Okay, uh, uh, one that I love uh, the actor Toby Huss. Um, he, Toby Huss. Um, he he's. Maybe best known as the voices of Khan and Cotton Hill on King of the Hill. Oh, but wow. 
Yeah, he's a he's an awesome actor. He was on Halt and Catch Fire for years. He was in Vegas Vacation. He you will recognize. I'll try to pull up a photo of him. You you yeah, will recognize great. him if you absolutely see him. Also, uh, Mary Beth Hart. Uh, yes. Her, uh, is is from uh, from Marshalltown. Um, we've also got yes um, a couple noted, frankly, a couple noted racist. legendary racist baseball player, <laughs> but excellent hitter. Cap Anson is is Ooh. from is also from Adolf Rupp, a yes. legendary college coach, also kind of a legendary racist. Oh God! Well, yeah, and that's why we got had to get out of there after. Um, a certain amount of years and moved to another racist place, Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, no, it wasn't as racist, but, uh, but yeah, definitely a lot of, um, conservatives and, and whatnot. And so, my, yeah. My favorite thing about the Wikipedia page for Marshalltown, Iowa, other than the very earnest explanation of how it got its name, uh, it used to be just Marshall, but then they found out that there was another, uh, Marshall in the same County. So they had to change the name. <laughs> Uh, and so that was one of them. It became Marshalltown in 1862. Um, and, but the, the history page on Wikipedia goes from Cap Anson, uh, who was born in eight, you know, it looks like he was born in like the mid 1800s, um, and just skips everything after the death of Cap Anson to a tornado in 2018. So apparently, that was the news. About uh, about ninety years passed with nothing notable happening in Marshalltown, Iowa, until there was a tornado after the death of Cap Anson. My um, parents used to tell me that when you would get a parking or like a speeding ticket, you would be in the paper. That was the type of <laughs> news that was wow. happening in Marshalltown. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, I, we lived next to the hospital that my dad worked at in a soccer field that I played sports at. It was a very small town, and so they needed news. Oh, here, by the way, is uh, the great actor Toby Huss. Oh, yes, yes. He's awesome. Yeah, he is. That's what I know him in um, a lot, but he is, he always is playing like maybe like a card dealer or like a card shark. Um, Someone always trying to pull one over. Yeah, he's an incredible character actor. He's an awesome actor. He, he, if if people have not seen, I I stand for this show all the time Uh, Halt, Catch, Halt and Catch Fire. It, it is fantastic. It was on AMC. It was really, really good. He basically stole every scene that he's in, even though he was a yeah, serious regular. Awesome. He's really, really good. Also, uh, Jeff uh, Clement was from Marshalltown as well, the baseball player. Wow. So you, you guys had some people. you know who that is, Andy? I vaguely, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you, the way you said that, like Jeff Clement, uh, also from Marshall. I, I recognize. You didn't really sell it, like oh, look, I recognize out of. I recognize the name. I did not remember the pronunciation, and pronunciations are one of my kryptonites. So yeah. I, I, I lost a little confidence there. I'm not going to lie. He, he spent five minutes before the show going Toledano, Toledo, Toledo. Toledo. <laughs> to, no Toledo. one ever gets Toledo. it right. And there's several. Toledano. Damn it. I would take it. I would accept it. Um, but yeah, so he uh, definitely recommend that guy. But like when, when you grow up in a place like that too, like as, as you get older, what do you think you understand more about like sort of, where we're at right now because like you know they're, they're, the last you know five you know i would say even 10 or so years ha- have i think really been kind of a turning point awakening point in, in this country i mean and not everybody's reacting the same way to it 
but we're talking a lot very differently about a lot of different social issues, both sides of this, you know, and both ends of the spectrum. But I, I would imagine that perspective might seem informative for, for where we are now. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I, I've, Described myself and you guys sort of know as a silly comedian or whatever, but the last few years, you, you, you know, one, you, I've realized you can't really do that. And one, I've also realized the bubble that, that we live in, you know, being here in LA and, and when I was living in New York and Chicago and like your day to day isn't the global experience. And there are so many people out there where, you know, what politicians are saying or, or the issues that really matter aren't affecting them. And so you have to go, what are the real ways you can reach them and tell them how it does affect them? And I think that's why this like last election and a lot of, you know, the movements that have been happening over the last couple of years uh, have been incredible because I feel like we're truly breaking ground. We are to keep continually just being like, we're in a bubble. We need to reach people outside. Like stop convincing your friends, call your parents, talk to them. Why? you know, you need to get the vaccine or why you need to believe this or not even just why you should believe this. Hey, do the the research a little bit. I had to do the research. It's okay if you feel uncomfortable. It's okay if like, it's not affecting your daily life, like mask wearing. It's like, yes, you are young, but what about how it can affect an older person? Like, and it's just like, you know, not being selfish and realizing that the sort of trickle or like how things can get passed and, and just, yeah, I mean, you look at a map and you go, all right, well, of course, you know, LA is going blue and like all these places are going blue or, or whatever are going, you know, there's middle America and especially when we're making art, you know, and for television and for, you know, like SNL, like that is a company, you know, funded by Comcast, right? And so they're looking out for their numbers and dollars. So you do have to create comedy that plays in the middle, uh, in the middle of America and stuff like that. And so it's just that general thing, the general realization that we're in a bubble and like, of course your friends are all signing off on the same stuff, same beliefs, but like if we're truly going to get anywhere, you gotta just like see what you can do to reach every sort of person out there. Okay. So tie this back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, yeah. which, is, which is the influence of social is social. Is social an inherently selfish thing, uh, a selfish medium? Uh, you talk about sort of like not being selfish, not being inside of your bubble. How does that work? Because it's it's obviously the answer is all of it. But I mean, like you know, because it. But what is the the impact and the role of social media in that idea of not being selfish, not being inside of a bubble, and all that kind of stuff? What can it be? What should it be? What is it? Yeah, I don't know. I think, and that's when it, it becomes uh, up to the human. Um, yeah, and it's wild that you know we can go out there and follow the only people we can go and follow two thousand people who we agree with, and that's dangerous. But also, like, what was the platform designed for to hear from those people? You know, it's just like so. I, you know, it's I don't know what the remedy is. I guess like the first step is like realizing what that experience uh, can do to you. Um, but yeah, it is selfish. It's that like, yeah, it's selfish. Well, there, there's there's selfishness to it. There's also a self-absorption to yeah. it as well. Yeah, that's I mean, sort of what I'm getting at. Like, there, it is it is a medium that in it, it has the potential to cross bridges and and bring people together and you you know expose people to stuff that they may not have seen or whatever it is. But you know, I think what we're finding in so many ways is that 
really what you you end up doing so much is preaching to the choir. Yeah. And so, you know, again, when you do what you do, I mean, just even dialing it back to things that are far less serious than conspiracy theories and, and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. How do you, who are you, who is the audience? Are you trying to expand reach? Are you trying to reach the people that you know are, are um, kind of in on JaVale McGee's Instagram page? Like how do who, who are you aiming for in this world of, of, of social? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's, I don't want to say I'm educated. Like, I think there are people out there who would get it right away if they saw it. And I think that's like the first sort of like wave of people that I want in on, you know, the stuff that I do on social, like, oh, you have an interest in sports and comedy. Like I want to get all those people to follow me or, or, you know, watch follow through production type stuff. Um, and then, you know, say that's going well. And this is just from my experience of seeing people build audiences, um, you know, and maybe it's like, then I got to pay for promo or whatever. I got to like get other, how, what's the next step of getting people who, who don't know they like sports and comedy to see this stuff, who can stumble upon it. And so, so yeah, I mean, it's not like a science just yet. There, there's different ways, but like, and that comes back. I mean, I guess it ties into, you got to, you know, you make things that make yourself laugh, that make your friends laugh. And I think that's where you start. You entertain the people that have the similar interests and then hopefully it can grow and just be open for, for yourself to grow as well. Okay, speaking of and sort of this perfect connection point of, of the different worlds that you both uh, live in and we've been talking about you know, NBA, content creation, social media, the social media vortex that we all live in, ask you something that we ask a lot of different uh, people who know the NBA that come on in this show. Why is Paul George, do you think, such a recurrent target of online slander? Like, because he's a, he's really interesting in the sense that he elicits this massive reaction all the time, and he's somebody whose personality is fairly vanilla. Yeah, like, yeah. like he doesn't like Paul George is not somebody that goes out of his way to elicit a reaction. Like you know, we, we were talking about KD before, and. You know some of the online misadventures he's had and no matter what you think about them like kevin durant has gone out of his way to elicit more of a reaction yes. paul george seems to want no reaction and cannot seem to avoid sparking one yeah and he's, he's in it right now with jared dudley and, and the book that uh the online book that he had written listen i'm a lakers fan um and you're allowed to be partisan. It's fine. Yeah. I, and the thing is, the PG hate is undeserved, but I get it, you know? <laughs> and and this is like, he has a lot more career ahead of him um, because, we, I, the, you know, at one time, the narrative was that he is having an incredible comeback um, after his leg snap. Like, I was at that game. I was at the Vegas um, exhibition game where, because I was there, my mom was in Vegas. And so me and my brother went up there, wanted to see that game. Um, cause it was D Rose's first game right. back after his ACL stuff. So that was like the main focus. And then to see, we didn't like actually see the, that, that occur like, and also, and for some reason that stadium, no one's cell phone worked. So it was walking out in the parking lot and everyone getting reception and seeing the highlights on your phone. They talk about like how sports is consumed. Like that's how we saw it. But like for the next two years, it was like, wow, what an incredible story. Uh, he, he's, you know, the greatest comeback story in NBA history, but you know, he also had the storylines and this is how long an NBA career is, is like, you can have so many narratives. It's like, you know, LeBron similar thing of like, 
you know, he forced a trade. He, he stated, I don't want to be in Indiana. And so that kind of, you know, pits like celebrity versus small market team, right? And then he gets his wish, goes to Oklahoma City, maybe makes a few too many promises that, again, NBA fans and media are really just like zeroing in on. Like, that was, We're a, gonna great, hold you that was a great party, though, that Russell Westbrook threw. I mean, I, I bet everybody there was making all sorts of promises oh, yeah. that they couldn't keep. Documentaries, like... You know, and like that. So that's the things where I'm like, you did this to yourself, pal. Um, but like, so, but now, but he also Should has have had a group like follow through, create the company, uh, the content for him. Yeah, let's, let's kind of look own. in the future. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and he had opportunities like, I think, and this, the story with him on the Clippers is not done by any means. Like they, you know, and the Clippers have a target on their back, no matter what in this city, especially like going to LA saying you're from LA saying you're a Lakers fan, have pictures of you in Lakers uniforms as a kid. And then going to the Clippers after the guy who they Lakers also thought they're like, it, it just all fell in this place. And the, so the, got, Lakers, yeah. the Lakers clearly thought they were getting Paul George, like yeah. even before they thought they were getting LeBron. I mean, they, they made moves or certain moves they didn't make, like not yeah. trading Brandon Ingram or the pick that became Lonzo because they thought they were going to get Paul George anyway. Like th there was a lot that had been planned for his arrival. You know, the LA guy supposedly coming home and then he did come home. He just went to the other team and that seemed unfathomable. But do you remember like, like LeBron wasn't initially accepted uh, oh, right away, you know? And that's the thing is like him going to Lakers. I think PG not necessarily that this was, you know, what what did it for him, but he he thought he was going to be the number one guy on the Lakers. I think for a long time. I think like, you know, he said he was gonna he was in it for the long haul on the on the Thunder, but you know, in the back of his mind, he, he was like, I'm gonna work my way over the Lakers. And then LeBron came in with that plan that was only like, I think Bill Simmons started to put that you know story out there that like LeBron was positioning himself to go to the Lakers. And then when it happened, and one also like the kind of what the story of like how magic and Rob again, no one liked Rob back then. No one thought he, they were no, doing they real work, not. you know, and they got LeBron. And I think Paul George was like, Hmm, I, I don't know if that's the team for me. And Kawhi made those calls and like, OKC wanted to get all these assets back. And I, I think, I think, I think you want to be loved concert for Paul George. Do you think that would have gotten him here? What's that? If, if LeBron had thrown a concert for Paul George, because like Something he had like that, he had to one up Russell Westbrook at that point, who, who had the Nas concert. Yeah, I mean, he, they needed the the pops and cir circumstance. Like he needed the, the red carpet. Some of these guys, you know, and and that doesn't make Paul George a bad guy. Like I think these promises he's made matches his talent. But man, like to blow a three one lead again, not completely his fault. And like for as many air balls off the back of or the side of the rim. I can find those for LeBron. Again, LeBron's one of my favorite players. Like, but the spotlight is on the Clippers and Paul George because of like, you know, these things he's done and it just hasn't fallen his, it, it hasn't fallen his way yet. It's, there is a knack to being able to do this, like in, in this kind of, and like to feel genuine, to feel authentic. Like I, I you know, I, it is, it is hard to be comfortable, completely comfortable in the role. And we had Law Murray on who covers the uh, covers the Clippers for the Athletic on last week. He made a great point. Like, guys get cast. 
heels, heroes, whatever, you know, especially right. in the playoffs. And like, you don't always get a vote in that. And like, sometimes you're like, oh, okay, now I got to be the tough guy with like the black hat and it doesn't fit. And I yeah. feel like he's a guy who, since he's moved from one place to another, he's been cast in roles that he's not good at playing uh, in terms of like perception. And that's a tough spot to be in just as a human being. Um, so, I mean, sometimes I feel bad for, for those guys in that way. Well, and again, this only makes LeBron look better because first year in Miami, same exact thing. What happened, like, in, in terms of, like, also his basketball playing, it was like he also wasn't good in the post. So what do you do in the summer? Like, I think he kind of laid off the media and the interviews and all that, and he also got a post game and became a great teammate. And they won two after that, you know, and then he went back to Cleveland. Like, there are certain – like there are certain calculated ways for, for Paul George to overcome this. The game, his game is there. That's the thing is like, you know, tonight, especially, you know, he, he's incredible. This, this Clippers came, team could beat the Lakers. I don't think they will, oh, they but, really could, sure. but they definitely could. And like Paul George just has to figure out, you know, maybe he might, he needs to slow down a little bit, like let his game speak for itself. Yeah, I mean, look, we also too, we're just we're brutal on guys who don't have rings. Like yeah. once they reach one once you are at like a multiple all-star level, we are brutal on these guys. Because yeah. the truth is, like, I mean, Paul George has had an amazing career. You know, yeah. he's had an all NBA level career. He's been in, you know, on the short list of MVPs in certain seasons. You know, he, he's he's had an amazing career. But, you know, he's got the bad combination of living in a really ring-centric time with an awful self-appointed nickname. Like, Playoff P. That was really terrible. Need, terrible idea. Really needed to be workshopped. Yeah. Like, badly needed to put that in front of the focus group. <laughs> but, like, the, the truth of the matter is, like, he's had a really, really great career. And he's been, like, a somewhere between top 15 or higher player for, like, the last several years. That's really, really fucking good. Really and good. We just sometimes don't appreciate it. Well, and yeah, so say he gets a ring here, like all of this goes away. And and sadly, that is, you know, hey. that's how it goes. But, you know, it's also not a crazy thing for him to do. Win a ring, you know, stay on yeah. the Clippers for I mean, a while. Pey Peyton Manning couldn't win the big game until he did. Um, and then that all, you're right, it was done at that point. Um, last thing before we let you go here, um, I you know, I came across this. Um, you do a, a thing, I guess, where you're you're um, you're looking for just the most super random sports merchandise that anybody could find. Oh, yeah. this is great! Um, you found these. Yep, Chris Anderson Birdman glasses from Arby's, which I Andy will tell you, nothing delights me more than the era of when fast food restaurants gave glassware to, to people yeah. through the, the drive through window, because that is so different, is so antithetical to what people do now in this litigious society we live in. But also, too, the idea that like if Chris Anderson was going to appear on any kind of fast food glass, it would absolutely be an Arby's. Yeah. <laughs> like, where where are these now? Because I want them. I have them. I'll send you one. So... And, and yeah, I mean, as you can probably see from my background, I, I just, again, I just love sports, vintage sports and like just collectibles and the weirder, not the more valued they are. It's no, the no, weirder weird. they are. Yes. Love how weird, like this. And I found this, if you watch this Twitch show that I'm trying to do every week now, I take suggestions from our chat 
in the Twitch and I go like, give me a keyword or give me like, so like NBA promo is a great keyword. And you see the weirdest stuff that is like handed out during like, you know, stuff teddy bear night, you know, <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you get like a Zadrunas Ogowskis teddy bear or beanie baby, you know, and like, that's the weird stuff you can stumble upon in like eBay, Etsy, all these like consignment shops online are just like houses for these things. And it's, it's so fun. This was another spectacular one. It was a, a Pez dispenser, as you point out, a a, a a Pez LeBron James Pez dispenser that does not look like LeBron James. Not at all. Not at that all. That is stock black guy like that yeah. they have in the mold. It looks for, more uh, like Pez. I'm trying to think like is it more like J.R. Smith? It looks a little more like J.R. Smith. It looks like J.R. Smith. Yeah, the mustache. Yeah. In like this era, he would have been wearing a headband, and that could have really okay. brought it closer. You know who he really looks like? He looks like Billy D. Williams. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Billy D. Williams after a haircut after Star Wars. Yes, yes. Sure. It's, a, it's if you want, you could sell this as some like <laughs> random Cavs promotion from like the '80s where they had Billy D. Williams and, and just lie about it. You probably could get more than the LeBron version. I'm gonna get what is it? A purple or blue handkerchief and put it as like a cape over it and then really <laughs> it as a Billy D. Williams. Lando, Lando Pez dispenser. Get a Star Wars nerd to to pay big bucks for it. They would. I have to be honest with you. Like, I would rather have like a, a Chris Anderson glass from Arby's than like an autographed, like personalized autograph photo from like Kareem. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just I I'd rather have this if you made me choose. It's more fun. It has more of a story, and it, it yeah, in a way, it's just like it feels more rare to you and special, and that's the type of stuff it, I go hunting for. And Arby's is just funnier than like Burger King, like yeah, significantly. I and I love Arby's, but yeah, when they're when it's like yeah, because Burger King and McDonald's they're probably getting big players. Like, who can Arby's pull? And it's Chris <laughs> Anderson. Um, where what's the name of the Twitch show, by the way, so people can find it? I think it will. So Twitch, I got to come up with a title. But if you look at my Twitch, my Twitch is um, follow through CJ, and you'll see all okay. the. I'm just clicking through everything right now. Yeah. It was, as long as we're sharing the screen. Buying stupid sports merch was the 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 tentative title, and that might be what we stick with. But um, yeah, Twitch and, and like a lot of these social platforms is like you don't want to come up with a catchy name. It's just like, give us the straightforward. What is this show about? <laughs> well, buying stupid sports merch. That's pretty straightforward into a watch. That yeah. I mean, this this didn't even make the screen. So the person <laughs> who sold that to me said they lost it, and so um, they actually sent me. It's not blown up right now, but rafts of David Robinson, Scotty Pippen, um, inflatable rafts of, of yeah of Scotty Pippen or David Robinson Doritos bags. Do they have cup holders? Uh yes, they do. They, you know what you do? You take your. You take your Chris Anderson glass, you fill it with a beer, you head out to the pool, and you lie down on David Robinson. That's genius. That is that, like yeah, ideal summer night. Or summer that day. is a full day. Um, <laughs> all right. Oh man, you have you have an excellent life. You've really got this figured out. I um, um yeah, I tell myself as a kid, if if I was to describe what I ended up doing, I would not believe it. Um, but yeah, so follow through. The the inspiration for this is to hold on to this lifestyle of just like trying to find, find the fun in sports. Yeah. It's a, it's a good place to stop. Uh, again, it's the, the, it's CJ Toledano follow through is his new, uh, what do you call it? A studio. It's a studio. I was going to say, yeah, creative sports studio, but yeah, um, you'll start seeing some stuff come from us and it'll, we'll, we'll build the identity as we go. 
Check, uh, check that out. Check out The Greatest, his podcast with his wife, Megan Gailey. Uh, this was fun. Really appreciate it. Digging in time, keeping a little bit past the hour here. Um, it was, And it's great to meet you. Great to meet you guys, too. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much. Tomorrow night, we will be reacting to Lakers Nuggets. That should be a really fun game. Looking forward to that one. Big and NBA. Friday, we've got TBD booked. Uh, TBD is a very, very <laughs> could, exciting game. It might be you. Wow. <laughs> it might be you, viewer, with us right now. So be on the alert. We will see everybody tomorrow. Don't you need a line.